welcome to our wonderful Sunday service. Thanks to you guys for making the uh, journey over here to Mitchell Park. We'll be back next weekend back at Eitz Chaim. Um, they're having their exciting Hanukkah party tonight as well. And today we're going to be talking about arrival, the arrival of Jesus and the preparing of our hearts um, for Christ's arrival through that process. Here's our text. Um, hopefully you're familiar with it, at least from uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah, Mary, get there. All right. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room, avail- no guest room available for them. So Christmas is the story of welcoming a new child into the world. And just like any other family that welcomes a child, you do a lot of things to prepare, right? So today in our day and age, there's like, you know, 25 things to do before your baby is born, 59 things to do before you must do at home before the baby arrives. Like there's all this, right, intense chaos. And I think even Mary and Joseph probably had a list of things that they were trying to do to prepare for Jesus. So this is maybe what some of the things were on their list. Um, First of all, they had to do it on a tight budget. So Mary and Joseph are going to prepare for the baby, but they're on a budget, right? So it's not going to be the crazy pottery barn baby shower list, right? It's going to be Target or, or probably more like Goodwill, right? Or just everything that your neighborhood could give. If you remember when Mary and Joseph go to offer the offering for the firstborn, they offer the offering for the poor. So they organize their whole life, right? They, they plan the dramatic gender reveal, um, just like everybody does. Um, Mary uh, prepares a speech because that's what moms have to do. You have to get ready with your big speech that you're going to make when everyone new one, you know, asks you about your son or your child that's on the way. Uh, they reserve the best birthing room. They, you know, arrange the doulas, get all of it set, you know, compete with all of those in the area. Um, cue the glowing lights. You never, ever, by the way, ever should give birth without also having lighting, hair, and makeup involved. So that's available right there for them. Um, They send out Evites um, in the form of a giant star so people know when and where to arrive. Um, She plans for the unexpected guest, right? She plans for those who are just going to drop in unannounced, um, bringing inappropriate gifts for a child. And then she's also going to ponder messianic expectations for your son and your heart, right? All mothers, we all know, you always ponder messianic expectations for your child. Um, also, make sure to flee murderous kings. Um, so any insane kings that are trying to murder your child, make sure you have your exit plan. You know, like you do, right? So that's their preparation list for getting ready for Jesus, all the things that we can do. That's a little bit of what they did in preparation of Jesus' arrival. And before we can wrap our heads around how people prepared for Jesus, we first asked, have to ask, who were they preparing for? And this is important because the way that you prepare for a VIP, such as, say, your boss, uh, is going to be very different than how you prepare for your daughter's uh, play date. So what were they preparing for, preparing for exactly? Well, they were preparing for someone extremely important, even more important than your boss. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. <laughs> 
they were preparing for the promised Messiah, the anointed of God, to lead Israel with power and authority and military might into the promises made to their ancestor Abraham. This was how, their high, how high their expectations were for this coming person. Listen to what Isaiah wrote. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over its kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is what they were expecting. The expectations were super high. And if I said, well, the kids are all gone now, but let's say, if I said Olivia, who we await, she is our future president of the United States, and the effects of her leadership will have no end. She will establish justice and uphold righteousness from now to all evermore. Those are pretty big expectations for Olivia to fill, right? Those are the messianic expectations your mother pondered in her heart when she was yes. waiting for you to be born. So how do we usually expect someone who will do such amazing things to be? Well, first, we would expect that this person would come from a super important family. And the Changs are an important family. But they would come from a super important family. But Jesus didn't come from that family. Sure, he was related to King David. But his birth was somewhat questionable. He was born to a virgin of a woman who, quote, didn't know man, like some Greek demigod. Joseph is his father. But is he really? Ish. Ish. There were questions about whether Jesus was born an illegitimate child. And we hear it in the Bible when he's an adult, when he begins to teach in the synagogue in his hometown. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? No, Mary's son, not Joseph's son. They're pointing to Mary. And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. People weren't quite sure if his parents were married when Jesus was conceived. And that made people think he was, well, he could never be good enough to do anything important. And there were other circumstances of his birth that seemed less than auspicious. For example, Jesus and his parents are not royal kings and queens, but they are Roman subjects. Jesus was born a subject of the Roman Empire under the Emperor Augustus and the Governor Quirinius. His father was a transplant from Galilee, which is a backwater, a boonies of a backwater province. And he was ordered to return home to his place, his birthplace in Bethlehem, to register. So Jesus and his parents aren't wealthy. They don't have a lot of prestige. They don't have a lot of influence. Instead, they're working class people. Joseph was not a governor, a court official, or merchant, but a carpenter, recently married to Mary, who was probably around 13 or 14 years old. They walked 90 miles late into her pregnancy. That's about from here to Sacramento. And they arrived in a town that wasn't quite ready for them. So essentially, people expected the Messiah to come from this family, or maybe even one of these closer families. They had no idea and no expectation that he would actually come from this family way in the back. <laughs> so Jesus arrived on this earth exactly how God intended. But he came as someone who didn't exactly fit the mold that people were expecting. So people welcomed him in different forms. 
What are some of those fours, Pastor Danielle? Well, Luke chapter 1 tells us this. In the time of Herod. It starts telling us the story about the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. The Bible wants to tell us that in the time of Herod, king of Judea, that there's this other king involved, this other king of the Jews. The word for Judea and Jew is the exact same word in the Greek. So there they are, and they're wa- and in the Hebrew, by the way. So there they are, and they're waiting, and there is already a king of the Jews. Except he's not really the king of the Jews. And Herod is now going to see Jesus as a threat because everybody knows that Herod really is. He's not of the line of David. He's not supposed to be there. He's not a good king. It was better to be a pig in his household than one of his sons because the pigs he didn't kill because he was pretending to be Jewish and the sons he killed. And so he continued to say there's room for there's only room for one king here. And he goes on this murderous rampage throughout Bethlehem. All of this tension right in those very first few lines in the time of Herod, king of Judea. All of the birth of Jesus is set up in immediately our juxtaposition of who is the king. Because you see, Herod lived in palaces like this. The Herodium, right here in the hills of Bethlehem, the city of David. And we're to believe, of course, that the king should come from something like this. But Jesus doesn't. So Herod figures out how to prepare for Jesus' arrival by going on a murderous rampage. Joseph's family is also there in the hills of Bethlehem, all reporting for the census. And they don't quite know how to prepare for Jesus' arrival, too. Because they're pretty sure that if the Messiah is going to come, he's not going to come through a questionable birth. And they're not able to welcome in the guest room. Joseph's family's not prepared to welcome this Messiah. And then we also have lots of examples today, don't we? Of ways that people come into our world or into our communities or into our nation in ways that we are not prepared to welcome them. Even the children were like, well, it's not quite their fault, but their parents clearly made some bad choices. We can all count to nine months, but the wedding was only six months ago. So we're all going to have a conversation about that. And we're not going to be able to be prepared to welcome wherever we are in our world today, wherever the people that are there that are, are coming that don't have it all together or don't have it right. They share something very deep with our Messiah who came not just wrapped in human flesh, but wrapped in human flesh, poor, questioned, accused. Mary's going to have to convince people to believe her story. And that's how he shows up. So the next group of people to welcome Jesus was actually that well, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, and her husband, Zechariah. Now, how did they welcome the news of Jesus' coming? Well, Elizabeth sounded a lot like the prophet Isaiah. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Now, why did Elizabeth act so differently than King Herod and all the other people in Bethlehem? Well, 
Honestly, Elizabeth had a head start on receiving unexpected news. Before Mary became pregnant, Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, had their own unexpected exciting news. An angel came to them, to him specifically, and said that she and her husband, both elderly, older people, and unable to have kids up to that point, would suddenly be expecting their own child. Elizabeth accepted it. Zechariah didn't. God didn't allow Zechariah to speak, talk, or make any sounds for nine months or so. And I think nine months gives you about a lo- enough time to figure out and come to terms with, oh, I'm going to have a baby and I'm this old. Oh. So Elizabeth knew a little bit about unexpected babies. And when Mary showed up on her doorstep, Elizabeth and the baby in her belly were ready to receive Mary and her baby as God keeping his promise to Israel. Now, we need to have the same kind of compassion for the people around us who aren't ready to receive him. We might know in our hearts, we might be feeling that God is calling us, that Jesus is here to show us something wonderful and special, but we've seen it, and we have to know that other people aren't, might not be ready for it, and we have to give them a little bit of time to prepare. Nine months might be a little long, but we have to give them some time. So it turns out that Mary and Joseph were quite a welcome surprise. Um, Not the way we expected, and we're not always entirely comfortable with it. I don't know if you've ever tried to explain this concept to a not-yet-believing friend. Sometimes you sound like you believe pigs fly. Anybody? Okay. Uh, Just me. (laughs) Um, But it's an incredibly welcome surprise and exactly what we needed. The people that were prepared to welcome Jesus were these shepherds that were just living out in this field at this time of year, right there waiting. Their sheep are doing the good thing that sheep do to get ground ready to grow something wonderful. And they're out there in that shepherd's field at night. And this lowly group of folks, right, that are just out there tending their flocks, knowing how to be good shepherds, this beautiful image of God throughout all of our story. They're the ones that are prepared to see the kingdom of God set things right to switch everything back up, that it's not that big king in that beautiful castle, but it's this beautiful baby that's been born where animals are. And the shepherds have this incredible experience. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. What a sign, right? Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, Peace to those on whom his favor rests. By the way, could you just, wouldn't your sign be, uh, now the sign will come that there's going to be a whole bunch of angels that come and say this crazy thing to you, right? That would be a good sign. But the sign that they're to believe that he's the Messiah is that he's wrapped in cloths and he's lying in a manger. It's the humble state of his birth that announces his Messiahship to us. So then the angels left, leave them and they've gone into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. 
And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. What do you think they're saying? Hey, we found the king, the Messiah, the savior of all of Israel. Really? That's amazing. Where has he been born? Oh, of questionable birth to a young woman and a man who may or may not yet be married. And they were in a place where animals are. It's great news, right? And I don't know if when it says they were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, if they were like amazed that the shepherds were running around telling the story or they were amazed at the good news of the story. The shepherds, the news is frightening. It's unexpected, but somehow they're ready. They're ready and prepared to receive the good news of this child. How are we preparing our hearts? Are we ready? Are we prepared to receive him? Are we prepared for his arrival in our hearts and in this world? The shepherds were ready. So we've seen, you guys take a seat. That was awesome. Thanks for saying. Thank you. So we've seen how various people welcomed Jesus the first time he came to earth over 2,000 years ago. Now the question is being asked of us, how are we called to welcome him? Jesus told us in the Bible that he would come back once again. So right now he's not here physically, but he is here. And more importantly, the people that Jesus loves are here. For both Daniel and I, there have been women who have played a very important part in making that idea clear. Just like 2,000 years ago. Yes. <laughs> um, just this last week, Phoebe's been asking me all these questions, right? Like, um, can we see God? Where is God? Where can we go to see him? Um, does God have a birthday? Was God born? Like, pre-existent? Wait, was Jesus like his own father? That's weird. Like, she's got a lot of questions. And um, the other day I was saying, no, you know, we can't quite see God. She said, well, will we see him someday in heaven? And I said, yes, will he be really big? I'm like, I, I don't know. She said, because you do say he's bigger than everything. And I'm like, okay, so yes. So there's lots of great questions. And in the midst of all that, we're just kind of sitting on the bench um, at her Hanukkah party at her school. And she looks at me, she goes, if God is everywhere, then when I do this, she grabs hold of herself and gives herself a hug. She's like, I'm hugging God. I was like, yes, and he's hugging you back. And she's like, because God is everywhere. So when we hug the air and when we hug one another, we seem like, yes, we have seen in one another the person of Jesus. And you had somebody explain this to you also, right? Yes. This woman. This is my sister, Karen. So <laughs> when I was 17, I was still kind of struggling with who God was and what my role was in all of this. Someone asked me, do you love God? And I had never actually thought about that before. For my entire life, my entire life, I knew that God loved me and he loved every person on earth, but I never considered that I actually need to love him. And so when my born-again Christian sister came home from college, I asked her while she was loading the washing machine, how am I supposed to love God? I mean, I can't hug him. I can't give him presents. I can't talk to him, but he's not physically here. So how can I show him love? And she responded with, I don't know. But I think it has something to do with loving the people that he loves. And it turns out, without knowing it, my sister was pointing to something John wrote in one of his letters in the Bible. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And because God sent his son out of love for us, we are asked to love one another. And by loving one another, including the strangers around us, and including the least of our brothers, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned, the ones in need, by loving them, we are actually loving God. My friends, the good news of Jesus is not simply that Jesus came to redeem us from our sins. It's that he came to redeem not just us, but the whole world and all of creation to restore it to the place where God's will is done, where all are treated with love and respect and justice and mercy. It's that he welcomes everyone to this place, and we are to be his greeters, the people at the front door of his kingdom, ushering everyone in. We're not meant to hear this good news and keep it to ourselves under a bushel. No, we're meant to shout it out loud in word and in deed that there is hope, that we are not alone, that God's plan of rescue and redemption means that we welcome all, just as every day we welcome he who came into this world out of love for us, and just as he welcomes us now. To drive this point home, please stand up and let's sing together. Thank you all for joining us as we prepared our hearts for the arrival and continue to focus in on the reason why we celebrate light coming into the darkness this season. Thank you all for being here at Spark.